Hi, everybody. This is Jason. I'm just checking in uh, before we start the episode with Kevin Goatee, a comedian out of New York. And Kevin's got a pretty cool TV show we're going to talk to him about. And it just uh, really excites me. It really inspires me. Uh, last night, I did my fourth episode of Talk About Funny. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a comedy showcase and talk show combination where I'm the host. And then I have a handful of comics that come up and they do a set. And after they do their set, they get interviewed by me and also talked to by the rest of the panel. So there's usually four or five comics in addition to myself. Four is really the right number. Five is too many. But occasionally someone comes in from out of town and I'll squeeze them onto the show. It's always nice for people who live in Asheville to see a comedian who's not from Asheville. Because if you go out to see comedy enough times here, you're going to see mostly the same comedians delivering mostly the same material. I've had really good comics on every show. I mean, so far I'm showcasing only the best talent I can find, and it's all people who are local, who have proven themselves to some degree, and can hold the stage for 10 minutes and hold the audience's attention, and then also can participate in a panel. And we've kind of got the whole format of the show worked out a little differently than we used to. Um, we started out with just me on stage and bringing everybody up one at a time, and it was real suspenseful, but I kind of realized that, wow, my best comedians, I'm saving them for the end as per tradition, and then basically that means my best comedians are on stage for the shortest amount of time. So I decided I'm going to bring everybody up first and then have the whole panel up there the whole time, and it creates this totally different vibe. I mean, it's really fun. It's kind of like a party is happening up on stage. And what I do is I give my set alone on the stage, just with an empty stage behind me. And then when I'm done, I bring up all the comics and the last person I bring up starts the show. And it's really effective. And last night we had a really full house. It was our, I think it was our first Friday show. I, I believe our very first show was on a Saturday. So it was pretty full and it was a pretty big deal because it was our first time and lots of people came just for that reason. And then we had a show on a Wednesday and a Thursday and they were okay, but not very many people, which is always frustrating for comics because you really do need an audience. But last night the room was packed. Um, I'd say it was definitely our second biggest crowd and it was almost as many people as that room can hold comfortably. So it was great. And I felt really good about it. And I had a film crew and I had a photographer and I realized I'm putting on these shows like... I'm treating each episode of Talk About Funny like it was some really crazy high-end show, even though the lighting sucks on the stage. The sound is pretty decent, but the lighting sucks. There's cars driving by, and the garage door's open to the street, and occasionally there's a motorcycle who just has to let everybody know how loud he can be. Or she. I don't want to be sexist. Women can be loud, too. Oh, maybe that was more sexist. Anyway, uh... It's a really fun venue. Upcountry's a cool bar, cool food. And the show is just starting to pick up momentum. And the other comics are talking about it. And once in a while, they come up and ask me about it. And that's kind of a nice change of pace. And eventually, I'll put everybody on there as they sort of develop to the point where I feel like they can handle the stage and handle the silence if they're not, if it's not working, I don't want comics up there yelling at the audience. Uh, like there's this one guy who was at the open mic the other night and every time the audience didn't like him, he just said, well, fuck you. And he, he must've told the audience to fuck off five or six times in five minutes. And that always gets a laugh, but it's not the kind of laugh 
that I personally would want as a comic, and it's certainly not the kind of laugh that I'm trying to create as a part of this show. This is a clean show, or a clean-ish show. Uh, the content is adult, but the language is PG-13, and... I think it's I think it's kind of cool to have a clean show in town. I, I think everybody's different about this, and I've been experimenting actually with cussing on stage a little bit more recently, just because you know I don't uh, restrain my language in normal life. I'm pretty clean on the podcast, but not necessarily. If I'm talking to someone in a conversation, I'll cuss, and I don't really think about it or worry about it or think it's a problem. And part of performing on stage and getting good and comfortable and believable as a comedian is to be as close to yourself when you're on stage as you can. So arguably, if you're someone who uses four-letter words in real life, you should be using them on stage too. But the tendency with new comics is to lean on that language to get the laugh instead of making the joke as funny as it can be. And I am... I'm really coming to terms with how traditional I am in terms of comedy, in terms of my own personal taste. Even though I respect people and sometimes even admire them for doing things that are pretty out of the box, I am a traditional comedian. I like the comedian standing up there, talking, telling stories or jokes. I don't really care which, as long as they're funny. And that there's a cleverness and an artistry and ideally some interaction between them and the audience that works. And that's something I've been working on myself at the open mics lately, where I will start talking to the audience and let my conversation with them guide the joke that I do next. Because I now have enough material that I can ad-lib my way through a five or 10 minute set, no problem. And I'm trying to get to a point where I can do that for the entire set so that the interaction between me and the audience feels very integrated and very organic the entire time, even though I am, in fact, delivering material that I've, you know, worked on a long time and tried to perfect. One of the results I've noticed is that in casual conversation with the audience, jokes that have been really written to a T and memorized and rehearsed and succeeded in the past, I'm starting to change them up a little bit, sometimes for better, sometimes not for better in the moment, but it flows more as conversation. Like it just comes out of my mouth in a way that feels like if I had just been talking to one person in the audience, that's how it would have sounded anyway. And I remember hearing recently that when you're talking on stage, when you're delivering comedy, no matter how big the room is, you should deliver it the same way you would if you were just talking to a friend on the other side of the sofa. And that is a really interesting idea to me and an interesting technique. So it's kind of one of the things I'm working on. Also really inspired by Bobby Slayton, because he, whenever I've seen him perform, he has a bunch of bits, you know, and he's got several albums out, so they're all pretty different. There's no repeats of jokes on any of the different albums he's created, although his humor's got a pretty consistent feel over time. And when I've seen him live, and because I was making a documentary about him, I've probably seen him live five or ten times, I watch him interact with the audience and then go from those moments into his jokes and then back into a new moment with another audience member. And it's extremely fluid and you always feel like you're a part of the show, which you might prefer not to be a part of a Bobby Slayton show because if you are a part of it, you're probably the butt of the joke in the moment. But he's uh, really an artist and he's certainly considered one of the greatest stand-ups of all time. And I think in, from that perspective, he's a good person to learn from. I'm 
not necessarily trying to emulate his sense of humor, even though I like it. I don't, I know not everybody likes it. Uh, he's pretty much of an equal opportunity racist and sexist, and that's his shtick, which I find hilarious. And I know that's not PC, but if it's funny, it's fine with me. That's always been my philosophy is it has to be funny first and then I'll deal with the consequences after that. In my own material, I tend to shy away from racist material or sexist material, although I get accused of being misogynist all the time now. Not in real life, just on stage that I guess my character, such as it is, uh, comes across as a little bit misogynist. But I apologize for that, except I'm not going to change it. I think... What I want to have happen for me is I want to develop a relationship with the audience where they trust me enough to let me get away with saying things that are just a little on the awful side, but they can hear that I'm not homophobic or they can hear that I'm not sexist or even hopefully they can hear that I'm not actually misogynist, like that they don't think I'm the person that my material is, but rather they can feel like I'm testing the boundaries of what's okay to say, think, and talk about, because I really think that's one of the biggest roles of comedy. Anyway, I guess that's what I wanted to talk about today. Um, last night was really cool, and, and it was really fun, and I learned a lot. I think, I've, I think I'm honing in on it. Uh, one friend of mine came, and uh, she came with a date, and she said, you know, my date has some advice for you and feedback for you on your performing style and just some things you think could help you. And I'm like, absolutely. Like I so desperately feel like I need an acting coach or someone who can help me be more, uh, have more of a, a dynamic presence on stage. The feedback I get is that I look natural and comfortable up there and that's really important, but I can feel that when I see other people perform, especially if they're more experienced or some people are just super dynamic on stage, like I wish that I had some of that inherent dynamism. I'm not sure I do. I'm not sure I can be taught. Not that I'm unwilling to learn. I just don't know if I'll be physiologically capable of incorporating the advice. But I think it's really cool that somebody saw something in me and said, you know, I just think that there's with a little shift, you could be this much better because I, I want to be better. And it's like I can feel like I'm really grateful and I can also feel this piece of me that's like, well, just make sure he's nice about it because <laughs> I can feel that I'm also sort of delicate around this stuff. Like I really want feedback and I really want to grow, but it's also really hard to hear anything other than you did great, man. And I think constructive criticism is the only way to evolve, but it's just uh, it's just not always easy to hear, but I think this guy's going to have really good advice. I think he's very good at giving feedback from people because he's a teacher and a teacher of sorts. And, and he's been working with people and their stage presence in different capacities for a really long time. So I'm excited to have that conversation. I'll let you know how it goes. And in the meantime, uh, enjoy this episode with Kevin Goatee. Hi there, welcome, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Jason Shoulder, and this is Learning to Fail. Comedy is complicated, and I meet a lot of complicated comics. My guest today is Kevin Goatee. Kevin performs all over New York City, 
and just signed a very exciting deal with Amazon Prime to carry his show, Comics Watching Comics. When I told our mutual friend Terry Barton Gregg that I wanted to do a Learning to Fail live show with new comics performing and veteran comics critiquing, she said, you have to meet Kevin. He's got a show like that. I think you guys would get along great. And we did. This is the moment where I thank you for listening and encourage you to make a donation on our donation page. It's also where I mention our Amazon portal, a link you can use to help support the podcast financially without spending any of your own money. But I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to bore you with how helpful it is to rate us on iTunes or why nothing is more important for a podcast than positive iTunes reviews. I'm not even going to ask you to keep telling your friends about Learning to Fail because we want this all to be a secret. All I'm going to say is Learning to Fail is a lot of fun for me and I'm going to keep talking whether you're listening or not. And now it's time for my conversation with Kevin Goatee. I love what he's doing, and I was glad we could scare up a little time to talk about it. So, dude, tell me about this show. I I found out, I was suggested to talk to you uh, by Terry Barton Gregg in Denver. So, first of all, I have no idea how you know her, but when I told her about this show I'm doing called Talk About Funny, which is a comedy showcase talk show combination, she's like, oh, you got to talk to Kevin. He's got this show. It's on Amazon. It's, like, amazing. So I'm just fascinated, and congratulations, first of all. Oh, thanks. And uh, tell me what it's called and what it's about so I can have some understanding and, and learn Sure. Something. It's called Comics Watching Comics. It's, uh, think, Last Comic Standing and Mystery Science Theater 3000 with a little bit of At Midnight. It's it, basically what it is. It's I taped uh, 50 comics in one setting, and uh, I, New York Comedy Club here in the city, and they each got five minutes. I take the footage back to my house, and I have uh, more tenured comics, and me sit there, watch, critique, praise, offer advice, and if they're truly awful, take a big steaming dump on them uh, if need be. At the end of the show, we pick a winner, and the twist is that the home audience votes for their favorite panelists that they want to come back for the following season. The winner gets a, a spot at a top club in the city, and I can't wait to announce where and when it's going to be. It's just 99% official, and I have to wait for it to be 100% official. But the where and the when is going to be really fucking cool. You'll definitely know the name of the club, and the when is going to make it even more special for the uh, for the winners for five and six. Oh, that's so, that's so cool, man. So Thanks. What a cool idea. How did you come up with this idea? Uh, it's funny how it's taken so many different turns. One day I was at a mic, open mic, and I was sitting there and it just happened to be that day, a a completely horrible batch of comics going on stage and just eating balls. I started texting my friend. We're just kind of cracking on these guys and girls who are on stage and just, you know, being mean. And I was kind of, this could be a show, but it just obviously can't be ripping people apart because that's just shitty and no one's going to be part of it. So then I thought, well, you know, Last Comic Standing is just a, I think it's a horrible show because it doesn't really show true comedy. I mean, they, they really try and spin it off as these people are relatively, like, not new, but still kind of sort of new. But most of these people are, like, pros. And the panel and the judges never say anything like, they always just kiss their ass. Oh, that was fantastic. Oh, so great. I mean, the last season with Norm was 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 salvaged only by him because he was real. He's like, nope, not good. Not a fan. Don't get it. 
he at least called it out where the other judges were just, like I said, just, you know, tongue in their buttholes. And it just, it was boring. I was like, well, let's try something a little different. I got the idea to do it with more intermediate comics because here in the city, there are just thousands of comics trying to make it. And, you know, don't get me wrong. There are a lot who are bad, but there are also a lot of people who are trying to, to break in. And I mean, there are only, there's like, what, six, seven clubs here in the city. And they're only like, what, I don't know. 50 to 100 spots a night. I mean, people. I'm trying to give people uh, a chance to uh, to break out in a different environment. This being it, so that's the uh, that's the idea of the show. And what it's. I mean, I think it's fantastic, and and Thanks. it's interesting because you know I th- I now I think the reason that Terry suggested that I talk to you is because I have this podcast called Learning to Fail. Right. And I had the idea of doing a segment on Talk About Funny called Learning to Fail Live, where we would bring up a new comic, let them do three minutes, and then the panel of slightly more experienced comics would critique him publicly in front of the room. Right. And that's when she said, you got to talk to Kevin because he's got a whole show about that. So now I'm remembering how that how that all came about. Um, and... So I think it's great because, you know, I went to comedy school and, and, you know, the guys who ran it, I was the only one with any experience in my class. I had like a year and a half under me by the time I got to the <laughs> class. So I, uh, I also did a comedy thing a year into the game. So uh, that's some young gun right there. So what made you go to comedy school uh, after doing it for a year? I, oh, geez. I just – more networking than, every, than anything else uh, as well as, you know – I know I need to get out there and do sets. Obviously, repetitions for everything make you better. But I wanted to learn what to avoid, what to look out for, how not to get fucked. Uh, I've been in corporate America for years, so I'm always looking for the angle of how can I be better than everybody else and leapfrog and shit. And uh, I thought that would be a good way to do it. Also, again, of course, first and foremost, really, is help uh, help my uh, my joke writing. You know, and like I said, but networking and joke writing probably the top two things as well. Like I said, it's trying to learn the business from someone who's been around for a while. And where are you now in your comedy career? How many years in are you and seven, what are you doing? Seven and change. Seven, uh, almost seven and a half now. Okay. And so do you headline anywhere? Are you a feature? What's your, are you, do you make money at comedy? What's your, what's your status? I mean, I, have, I make money. Is it anywhere near to be, would I be ready to call myself a, a working comic and is solely relying on that income no uh definitely not i feature uh mc headlining not really i have headlined before but i would say i've got 30 uh not enough to be a full a full-fledged headliner uh so yeah uh, i gotta work on that but again this show is just taking up a lion's share of my time and to be quite honest i think this is more of my path right now and i'll use this to open doors for comedy down the road, so it's kind of like comedy's taking a little bit of a backseat when it comes to the show because this is obviously I'm, I'm everything you know, marketing, publicity, uh, host, executive producer, director, editor, head fluffer, you name it, that's me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm I can relate to that. I've been in business for myself uh, since mostly since the fourth grade, and I just, but and truly, I mean, I've been entrepreneurial since my mid-20s, and I've never had a job for anybody else since then. I've always wanted to work for other people and just not cut out for it. Yeah, man. So I, re- I really get that. Um, so, all right, so you're seven years in as a comic. I think it's really cool. Like, part of like with my motivation with my Talk About Funny show is 
that's a show I can take to other towns, invite other comics onto my show, and now when I show up in another city, I'm on stage for 90 minutes, not five. And, you know, it's like, it's it's a way of me kind of sh- rolling in at a at a higher level than I possibly could as a just any other comic. I mean, or if eventually I could, but, you know, I have to work a really long time to come in as a feature, come in as a headliner. So I like the idea, and this was this was my reason for starting the show. I, I like the, the concept and the format of the show, but as I realized once I had it, I was like, you know, I really have something here that can travel, and, and I think this will open doors for me in a different way. So I had kind of a similar, sounds like, realization that you had, where it's like, here's this idea that can open doors for me faster than just competing with everybody else who's taking the same steps along the same path. You're not kidding. In fact, I'm actually talking with Terry. We're trying to get comics, watching comics out in Denver. It's just, we were going to try and do it in October, but there are any dates. Uh, I try to plan it around when the Giants are playing Denver in Denver, but they were booked in the club that she works uh, works with. And I just, after that, it's just my, my live shows in November in the city, and then it's Christmas time, so I said, fuck it. I'll just shelve that until uh, the new year. So we're going to go to the... Uh, the uh, Denver Improv in the new year and do a live comics, watching comics out there. That's so great. Yeah, we're going to do the same thing with Talk About Funny. She's going to produce that show for me out there. So that's so cool, man. This, I just, yeah. That is, that is awesome. really awesome. No wonder she wanted us to talk because we really, like, you know, we're different people. But, like, in this sense, I think we have a similar um, similar mindset, similar, like, oh, you know, see angles that other people don't necessarily see. Um, how are you received like in New York? Are you, do you live in New York first of all? Or I, I, I live in Jersey. I'm right across the river. I mean, my day job's in Manhattan. I'm a comic and I, I, I primarily do stuff in the city. Uh, I mean, I'm my, I'm looking at the skyline on my window right now. I'm a 10 minute train ride, uh, into Manhattan. Okay. So yeah, I'm in Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, I mean, Manhattan's unaffordable. Yeah, I mean it is, but you're gonna fucking live in a closet and not with the. Uh, and, and it's funny that we, we we do okay with money, but you know it's gonna get us a third of what we have size wise now. Right, and you got a family now, right? You have just the one kid, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that changed. I mean, kids just take over. It's, <laughs> they really invade the entire house. So. Right. Right. It, it makes sense to to be over there. So okay. So, um, I mean, I'm just interested in like. How did you – do you have a lot of friends who are comics? Are you well integrated into the scene there? Has this helped you more? I'm, I just wonder. I'm always curious about other people's trajectories. Sure. Uh, I do have a, a good amount of uh, friends here in the city that are comics. It's a different crowd. Like um, I have my, my, my black comic friends, bust my, not bust my balls, actually praise it. Like you're not the, 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 the comp, but is you're not like most white people here in the city. And by that, I mean, <laughs> I'm not the, the beta male. Oh, I'm trying to say I'm a feminist. So I get laid kind of guy, the, the, the bearded guys in, in Brooklyn, the Wingsburg hipsters. I'm like, well, no, I'm not in that camp. That's not me at all. I'm one of the, you know, it's me and a few, a bunch of other guys who are like the, Hey, we're actually the straight white guy who likes sports and films and is not socially awkward and talks about that for ten minutes. Like that's not our, that's not my camp or my group of friends or you know guy or girlfriends. So it's, uh, yeah, I've I've got a lot of friends in, of that faction in the city, uh, who I run with pretty much. Nice. And are those guys on your show? Have they been? The, like, how did you choose the fifty comics to, to film? And how did you choose oh. the? So yeah, how many panelists yeah. are there? How do you sure, sure. Those? So I'll break it down. 
each season is 25 comics. When I do a taping of 50 comics, that's two seasons right there. So okay. uh, 25, 25, 25. So I have four seasons actually that are, you can watch now. Season five is being sound mixed and season six I'm editing uh, round two. So the first two seasons I had, uh, I actually, let me take it back. I even did a teaser reel where I went to a mic, uh, a buddy of mine was running, I said, and I just got up and said, hey, look, I'm going to do a teaser reel. If you guys are cool with me taping, just say so, sign a release, and if not, whatever. And I did that. It just like a three-minute teaser, uh, and I had myself and three of my friends, actually Monica Vita, who's friends with Terry, who lives in Denver. She's from uh, Denver, moved out to New York for years. That's how I know her. She moved back to Denver. She was on the panel as well as a couple other people. So I made a teaser reel, but then the actual episodes, I asked a lot of friends as well as put a casting notice out there, like, hey, doing a, uh, a show where you know you do five and we're watched by a panel. And it's gotten bit. So the first two seasons, like I said, were, were, were a good chunk of my friends and other people. And then like season three and four were a lot more just random people and a lot less of my friends and five and six were just like 95% random people because um, the word was getting out. In fact, even for seasons five and six, I had people coming in as far as Vegas, Dallas, Texas, Georgia, Detroit, uh, Rhode Island, Connecticut, uh, well, Pennsylvania. A lot of people were flying in for this from outside the tri-state area, which really shows that this shit's really taken off. Um, I even had people from YouTube commenting, commenting like, hey, we're from um, Zimbabwe and South Africa. We love the show, man. It's really fucking cool. I'm like, wow, Jamaica. I'm like, wow, this is this is crazy. So yeah, that's uh, that's how I got contestants uh, to get on the show. Pretty much first friends, and then people were watching it, and they're like, holy shit, I want to be on it. And people are still reaching out to me like, Hey, when are you taping the next season? When can I get on? So that's uh, that's how it oh. works. Yeah, I mean, I I can't imagine you aren't already like overburdened with submission tapes. Well, I tell everybody, don't even I said don't even submit. I'm not gonna fucking watch it. So I'll put the notice out there again, and it won't be till New Year because right now, like I said, I'm right now deep with five and six, and then uh, my my editor and slash video guy, he's having a kid the next week. So we're rushing, we're running our balls off to try and get as much done before his second kid pops out. And then it's Christmas time. So fuck it. We'll just shelve season seven uh, and eight taping until the new year. But you're right. People are emailing me. Uh, God, I don't know. I, I, now it's not as bad. I only get like a, a few a week, but when like the new season drops, then that's when the, the avalanche of people are like, Hey, when, when, when's the new one? When, when, when's the next one? So yeah, that's how. Oh, yeah. No, it's awesome, man. I mean, I, I want to be on your show. <laughs> I think it's fucking fantastic. <laughs> how many years um, you do, how many years have you, you've been doing comedy? I'm two years in, uh, but I'm, you know, I mean, I'm 47, I'm almost 48. Uh, it's like, I don't know how this sounds, but I'm two years in. Most people think I'm five years in. When they so we, so the rule is it's you have to be three years in, uh, and I do that to protect you because I don't want someone going on stage and and you know three years in you're gonna have five good minutes. Less right. than that, I mean a lot a lot, and I've had to turn a lot of people away because of that, uh, and people lie about it actually to get on. But I, again, I do that as as a protection thing for you. That way, if you go on and eat ass. Then if the panel rips you apart, I don't want to be the reason why you quit comedy. 
Whereas maybe <laughs> you figure after three years, they've yeah, got enough yeah. momentum. They're not going to quit. Exactly. Maybe. Yeah. You know, you, and then you have a tougher skin and then you'll go, Hey, you know what? Uh, let me get better. And then I'll submit in that way. I'm not going to, you know, want to jump up a fucking cliff if I, uh, if I get ripped. So that's the, that's, that's like a safe. And I've had people lie, like flat out tell me, like, Oh yeah, I lied to get on. And some of you people, some of the people have paid the fucking price and some people have actually, all right, not as bad or okay. They're good. But most of them are just eaten, crashed, and burned. So really? don't, don't lie, because uh, yeah. most of the time, no, no, I get it. Exposed. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't lie about anything in my life. It's not worth it. Right. Um, I mean, there are things I keep private, but that's a slightly separate issue. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, I, but yeah, no. I mean, uh, well, I don't care about waiting a year. It doesn't matter. Sure. Uh, I'm not quitting comedy anytime soon, and I'm confident that I do well enough that I wouldn't get ripped. But I'm um, sure I'd get, you know, some some feedback, some which would be easier to hear than others. Uh, but anyway, I don't care. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to wait. I don't it doesn't matter to me. I just think it's such a cool show. My point is, as a comedian hearing about it, I'm like, fuck, yeah, I'd want to be on it. And yeah. I just I can imagine every comedian feels that way. And I think, you know, with a guy from Zimbabwe, I mean, first of all, I mean, I'm sure you've thought of this, but you are now like in a position where you can take this show on the road and it could be really interesting because you could be like comics watching comics Zimbabwe, comics watching comics, you know, UK or Russia. I mean, wherever you think you can get enough people to be on it, uh, and of course they'd have to speak good enough English to be able to be funny in English. Um, but what a cool show that can actually see the world. I mean... Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah. I mean, and you could probably have a film crew. You got, you don't even have to go there. You just need somebody to film a bunch of people performing in some location, send it to you. And you, you do the shooting of the interviews here, I'd imagine. Right. Not the interviews, the judging. Right. Right. I, I, I fly out my panelists, uh, to do that and make like a whole, and then we all do time, of course, on the show. That would be the, uh, that would be the, the, the part of, that's part of the live show you'd see as well. So, but yeah, no, it's, the uh, the sky's the limit, and I think w once it gets on Amazon, it's not up yet. Uh, season one should be up in a couple of weeks. I was just told that recently, uh, because Amazon doesn't want us to upload them all at once. They want us to space it out for their algorithm and all that other shit that I have no knowledge on. Uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think if it once it gets on Amazon, it's just really going to start, you know, really getting popular. I hope it does. I should say. I hope. Oh, um there's no doubt, dude. There's no doubt. I mean, it. Uh, I haven't seen it, but it's just, it's such an obvious, to me, it's a truly an obvious win of an idea. Um, Thank you. Uh, yeah, well, you're welcome. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it if I didn't mean it. I've got no, I'm not going to benefit from lying to you about this either. Like, I just think it's really cool. Maybe I think it's cool because I had a similar idea, but I like what you're doing so much better. I mean, I would rather just see your show take off and you know like I don't I'm not into doing things once I know someone else is doing it I don't know it, um, some people like to steal other people's ideas to me it's like all right fuck now I'll figure something else out yeah no people trying people compare mine to you know I never heard about kill Tony until someone brought it to my attention because that's an that's a west coast thing I'm on the east coast where basically they just fire away at a guy doing a minute uh, uh, of stand-up or whatever and then uh, they also have Comedy 101, which is in the city, where they just open blast away at open micers and such. And it's uh, mine's different because there is actually a prize in the end. And then again, the grand idea is that really once this thing gets fucking uh, some um, 
some press is to take us on a tour like American Idol did or Last Comic Standing, like take all the winners on like city to city tour and do it in theaters and really, mm. really fucking, you know, capitalize on this. So that's the goal is to get the, the winners on the tour with some of the panels and such. So that's uh, that's a I see. So can you tell me who some of the other panelists have been or who they are or is that secret information? No, no, no. Who, who they definitely not who they are. I'll, I'll tell you. Um, I'll, I'll give you the list. John Moses, Jimmy Failure, who now is the head writer for Kennedy on Fox uh, Fox News. Leah Bonwa uh, was another. We're all in season one. They uh, Leah worked for uh, worked for the troops. Has done a lot of cool shit. John Moses has been on Access TV, uh, other things as well. Season two is Mike Racine. Mike had his own Comedy Central special about a year ago. Brian John was on Last Comic Standing. Cyrus McQueen also on Last Comic Standing. Season three is Richie Redding. He he is Cat Williams' uh, opener. Whenever Cat Williams goes on a national tour, that's his opener. Is Richie? Richie's great. Mike Gaffney all on, on America's Got Talent. Ray Goots uh, used to manage Carolines. Has a super popular web series about video gamer uh, gaming girls and shit. Uh, season four, I made things a little bit differently. I added a master panelist, and that master panelist is Jeffrey Gurian. Uh, if you're in the comedy world, you probably know who he is. He wrote for Dice, Joan Rivers, Rodney Dangerfield, Ray Romano. Uh, you name it, he's been around. He's a living legend. He's our master panelist from here on out. And also in season four, we had uh, Jim Mendrinos has been around the block. Sean Lynch, who created Celebrity Deathmatch on MTV. Uh, Amy Shanker has uh, been around the, the block in Chicago, and now she's in the city. Season five is Gino Bisconti. He's a... Uh, he has a, a lot of NF, stuff of the NFL. For his, he's also a fellow gambling degenerate like yours truly. Uh, who else is on the five? Mark Riccadonna also touring for the troops. He also contributes for SNL's uh, Weekend Update. And uh, Mark DeMeo, one-man show, former New York cop. Season six is really cool. I actually did something different. I added Jason Scoop to the panel. Jason Scoop won season one. So I wanted to be kind of cool to throw a winner on as a panelist. And he was actually on the... Uh, First impression show on USA that aired last summer. Cal Montgomery, who's uh, who has had two one-woman shows in Vegas, national tour USO, uh, and Gina Brione also uh, was on Kevin Can Wait. She's got a pilot uh, that's being uh, shopped around. She also opens for Gabriel Iglesias, you know, Fluffy, uh, sure. and also named Rolling Stones uh, comics to watch. So. That's uh, and I will tease. I have a very, very, very A-list comic i'm gonna have dinner with in the next month who has seen the show and we're gonna sit down and see if we can discuss maybe him getting on board on the show can't say who it is but uh if it happens it's gonna be fucking huge it's definitely a, a household name that's fantastic man yeah yeah that's so, so cool no, I mean, and I really like the idea of a master, what do you call it? Master panelist. So what Jeffrey Gurian's job is to do is the panel and, and I, we vote on a, a winner and Jeffrey uh, will give a thumbs up or a thumbs down on our selection. And of course, he'll be, he has commentary throughout the, uh, you know, our show. So Jeffrey's fantastic. You'll uh, go, go Google him. You go, oh shit. You'll, uh, you'll see who he's worked with and, and done. It's uh, he's very fantastic resume. I think that's a really cool addition to to the format. And I also like the idea of like the audience voting for their favorite panelist because that lays some responsibility and accountability on the panelists to not just 
be assholes. Like they have to be balanced and likable in order to to sort of win the audience vote, right? Uh, they so could be they could be assholes. I mean, some people. The the thing with the show is, I like to think I've got it down the middle. I, I got a lot of people. Well, I shouldn't say a lot. Some people say you're too nice. Some people say you're too mean. Most people say you got it, guys. You total them perfectly, where you got a good mix of both. So maybe uh, one season the asshole panelist likes to who likes the ball bust, you know, could be the pariah, or he could be the one that people go, oh, I love when that guy just rips in, or that girl rips in, or whatever. So. It, uh, well, it, I guess what I mean is not that they have to be nice and pander to this audience that's going to vote for them, but that they have to do a good job of judging. Whether they're saying positive things or negative things, it's right. got to make sense. It's got to be right. – that's what I mean by not being an asshole. Like by just you know talking shit that doesn't mean anything, right. that's not going to endear them to the audience and it's not going to make your show um, that unless, but, uh, unless they're fucking funny, which we had a couple people who were like – were major like shit talkers who were funny as fuck, but – you know, some people are like, oh, I couldn't stand so-and-so, you know, I wasn't a fan. But uh, I will say the ones who have gotten the most votes are the people that really play it right down the middle, both a bit of a dick and give good feedback or insightful uh, tips. Well, isn't that pretty true for being a comic, too? I mean, you have to sort of present both sides of the argument in order to be funny to as many people in the room as possible. I mean, you can't just if you just if you just bang one way the whole time, you're going to alienate some section of the room. Right. So up until now, the show's been on YouTube. I take it. Yeah. And it's been free, obviously, to watch it. So now that you're and you're launching season one on Amazon, is season one on Amazon the same season one that was on YouTube, or is it actually what yeah, it is, season it is, seven? It's the same one. Uh, the new one will be season five. Like I said, we're almost done sound mixing that. And, uh, yeah, so that it, we're going to have all the seasons that are available now, but I'd much prefer everybody to go on Amazon when it goes there and watch it live. So that way I can make a little bit of money because <laughs> YouTube views are terrible. They don't, uh, you know, it's not, I'm not making money that way, but Amazon is going to be better, uh, better payments. Let's put it like that. So if all you people listening out there, please wait until it goes on Amazon. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, I was going to ask, are you going to take it down from YouTube or is yeah, Amazon yeah, requesting yeah, that you? Yeah, I'm going to yank. I'm, I'm going to yank it down as soon as everything. Uh, as soon as as soon as Amazon, whenever season one goes up, I'm pulling season one everywhere else. As soon as season two goes up, I'm going to pull it there too. And so on and so. Forth. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you pull them all once one, season one goes up? Well, I could do that too. I guess if I, you know, it's probably a better idea that way. I would think once you're launched on Amazon, Amazon's going to insist on it. If I were them, I would. Because aren't they? Are they investing in your program? Or are they just no, allowing no, you to no, use no, them no, as a platform? No, it, it's not like that. You, you, you are everything, and they just give you, uh, you know, money per minute viewed. That's how it works. I see. Okay. All right. So it's just basically not that different from YouTube, except they actually pay you instead of. Well, yeah, having... YouTube pays, but you need to have these crazy viewers. Like, you know, just you need to really have a lot of views for it to kick on. Whereas Amazon, you get paid from, you know, minute one that something's viewed. And then will Amazon ever discontinue your show or do they not care that you're taking up bandwidth? Like is, in terms of just taking it off YouTube, I mean, you could always put it back, but you lose all that traction. Or maybe there's a way to just silence the clip for a while or something and make it private. No, I got to I got to yank. That's what Amazon Amazon decrees that because they want ex exclusivity, which is fair. I mean, 
I don't, YouTube, again, YouTube views, I mean, I get most of my views from Facebook anyway. That's where the, the overwhelming majority of the views are. And uh, so it'd be kind of dumb for me not to yank it off everywhere. So that way, it's you, I force you, you to go to Amazon and then in turn helps me get a few bucks in my pocket. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm just wondering, is it the kind of thing where Amazon would cancel a show for any reason? Or will you just always be able to be on Amazon going forward? Uh, it, it pretty, it looks pretty much like I'll be able to go on Amazon going forward. I mean, the goal really is to get on a network where the real money is, uh, as of the present day, who's to say that in a few years, Amazon, um, does pay more than TV. And that's the way of the future is watching it on like, on like an Amazon or a Netflix or whatever versus the regular networks that you and I are used to. I think the networks that you and I, I don't know how old you are, but the networks I'm that 40. I grew up on. Okay, yeah, so we're close enough in age. The networks that we grew up on, I mean, those are a thing of the past. I mean, it's all moving in the direction of online and Netflix and Amazon and, you know. And if they, if I don't know how successful they're being with this uh, net neutrality business, but if we lose net neutrality, then people like Amazon and Netflix, are they're going to win out anyway. Right. So. They're um, not going to, I don't think they'd ever change net neutrality. That's, that's. That's fucking with First Amendment right there. People are going to lose their minds. Well, we'll see. I mean, they're certainly threatening it all the time. Um, yeah. I mean, they put a guy, Trump put a guy in charge of, of that, uh, I guess it's the FCC, um, who is anti-net neutrality. So I'm not saying they'll succeed, but I think they're going to try. <laughs> yeah. So when you get a deal like this with Amazon, there's no, they don't, there's no like initial buy or it's just like, yes, you can do it. Right. It's not, here's $10,000. We want to own exclusivity to your show. Is there something no, like that? Not, or is it that... not like that? Not like that. It's like, it's Amazon original content, like a trans show. Um, right. So yeah, it's no, it's not like that. Oh, so with that, with transparent. Yeah. That's I it. thought, I thought, uh, Amazon paid for that show. I thought they produced that show like any movie. I, no, I'm it's, it's, it's like, it's not like, yeah, it's not like, excuse me, that show. Okay. My show is like that. Like, it's not like, it's like, oh, this is Amazon content. It's like, you know, that's like the, the one of the tent pole shows where they go, where they probably pay for everything. Mine's not. So it's just kind of like, all right, well, we'll give you the shot and we'll see what happens here. And then uh, away we go. Well, it makes total sense. I mean, it's kind of what they do with products. Like I have a product that I've been selling on Amazon for a really long time. And now I've moved it from uh, fulfilling each order individually in my warehouse to letting them fill it through Prime, which makes it a little more desirable to people. And then if it's successful enough, Amazon might say to me, hey, we want to stock your product. We'll buy it from you wholesale and we'll sell it instead of you selling it through our marketplace. So I have a feeling it's a similar model that they're doing with the content like yours, where they're basically saying, you produce it, you pay for it, we'll provide the platform. And then at some point, if it has enough value to them that they want to own it, then they'll pay to produce it. That's what it sounds like to me. And that would be consistent with, with the way they function in terms of their merchandise. Right. Right. Well, it's exciting, man. I'm, I'm really happy for you. Um, I definitely, I mean, if you ever want to come to Asheville, we have a cool comedy scene here and uh, we would love, to, but I mean, 
but there aren't a ton of comics here who are three years in. I'd have to think about it, but I could help you anyway. Between Asheville and Greenville and Charlotte. Um, Arrive. And I know the guys. Yeah, where's like the main like comedy hub in North Carolina? Charlotte. I mean, and, and that's where I did my comedy school. The Comedy Zone is there, and Comedy Zone owns like 50 clubs. So those would be the guys to do it with. And I could ask them. I mean, I could tell them about it. They, they may already know about it. Every time I say anything to them, they're like, Jason, we don't need your help. So I'm like, okay, man, sorry. <laughs> Just, you know. But uh, that would be the guys to talk to, um, Comedy Zone. And the guy who runs it is Joel Pace. He's, he's the... He's the guy you got to get to, and if I can be helpful, I'm happy to, and if I'm not needed, I'm happy not to be involved. Uh, and I also know a few people sort of on the way to Joel that if they champion the cause, they might be an easier sell than he would. Like, I know people who produce shows there on the off nights. You know, one woman, she owns Tuesday nights. I think someone else owns Wednesday nights, you know, and they do those kind of nights where the club is slow, they do open mics and different kinds of showcases and things to, to bring people in mostly just to sell food and alcohol. And, you know, they give away a lot of the seats for free, but right. otherwise the club, the club's just dark. So I don't know how New York clubs work. I think New York clubs would probably have an easier time being full every night of the week, especially because they have needless talent. Uh, depends. It's uh, it can be a, uh... Can be dicey. There are a lot of produ- there are a lot of uh, produced shows here that don't draw, or it could just be a a slow night. You know, they, 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 that happens a lot. So, uh, how far is Charlotte from uh, Asheville? I'm just curious. It's two hours. Oh wow, you have two hours each way to do comedy school, huh? That's that's complete. yeah. It was it was for seven weeks, including the big show. Jesus. Um, but it was worth it. I mean. It was totally worth it. I am such a better comic after doing that class. And they really, um, I mean, you know, the first night they sort of do the 50 most asked questions in comedy. And they know they've collected them because people have asked them over the years and they write them down and they just ask and answer them in the first night. Most of that stuff I already had learned the answers to the hard way. But it's just like, if you're looking at it, at comedy as a business, and for 400 bucks, you can go to comedy school and cut out a year of making bad choices. It just If you just think of the number of beers you buy in a club over the year while you're waiting for your set, it's going to cost you more than $400. Like, it's so dumb not to go to comedy school. <laughs> it's just, I can't think of a single reason not to do it. And, and I know plenty of people who don't, and I mean, it's fine. It's better for those of us who do, frankly. But... I feel like I learned so much from those guys and they made me so much better so quickly. And after I went there, people started saying, wow, you've really gotten better, you know, whatever. Like they didn't know why, but they could see the difference. Right. Yeah, no, it's, uh, the right, uh, the right school, the right teacher can definitely be good. There are, there are some, uh, shams out there and whatnot. And, and, uh, well, that's for sure. I'm not saying yeah, you're right. I mean, not just because it's called a comedy school doesn't make it the best choice. But I, but I'm saying yeah, a good comedy school goes a long way. Um, right. And these guys are interesting. They've been in the business for a long, long time. Uh, you know, I mean, I wrote this one bit. Basically, while I was there, I I tightened up a bunch of material, tied it together in a different way, and put together my graduation set. And then I w- wrote one brand new bit, and at one point, like maybe you know, four or five weeks in, I told him, I'm like, I'm just not feeling this bit. And he said, Jason, 
you just haven't done it before. You don't trust it. But believe me, it's it's really good, and I've never heard anyone do it before. And well, so go. he's like, you got you got to stay with it. He's like, I, he's like, I've heard everything, and I've never heard this. And that was all I needed to hear. It's like, okay, I'll keep working it. And now it's really solid. And, and it's a really interesting bit. It's one of these things where the audience is, you know, they're loving it. They're laughing. They're cringing. They just like, I, I bring them to this really tense place. And there's always someone in the room just with burying their head in their hands being like, no, you know, like stop. It's perfect. You know, and then the payoff is great. And it, if they're paying attention, if they remember everything I said since I've been on stage, it's a callback to, you know, the beginning of the night. It wraps the entire set together. So I wouldn't have been able to do all that without their help and also without them knowing when to push me to stick with something. And that's the kind of thing you don't necessarily understand as a comic. You don't. I remember when I was in art school, my art teacher said, Jason, you know, you are good enough to know when you're you've done something wrong, but I'm good enough to know when you've done something right. That's an interesting way that can, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That can be the hardest thing as a comic, is knowing when not to bail on something. I mean, plenty of comics don't know when to bail on something as well, but that's <laughs> obvious. Ain't that the fucking uh, truth? Um, yeah, I can, there's just one guy who's he's new in Asheville. Um, he's a sweet, sweet kid, and he's. But he does this one bit that every time he's, he just keeps working. And I'm like, dude, you need to stop doing this bit. Like, it's never gonna be great, because it's just not. It's just not a. There's something inappropriate about it. Like it. It's just never gonna be a great bit, and and he just doesn't get that. You know, <laughs> maybe the day will come. It's the thing he wants to talk about, so he just keeps talking about it, and he talks about it. You know. 3% differently thinking it's going to turn around and it's not enough, but that's fine. I mean, that's the process for people, but maybe he'll get it when he's not getting booked. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's been at it for, you know, a few months. I mean, um, try not to be too critical, but, but it's been interesting for me. Cause like I, I do not get a lot of love from the Asheville comedy scene. But, you know, I go Greenville, which is one town away. I get, you know, tons of opportunities there. I mean, I have my own show here, which goes great. And I have people here who, who I have audience members, you know, who, who love what I do. But it's been very hard for me personally to break into the local comedian scene. Like, I, I don't know if I'm too old or what vibe I give off that they don't dig. But it is like pulling teeth for me to get anywhere with the local comics. So I've, I've just stopped trying, you know, I'm just like continuing on with my own trajectory that just not going to have that much to do with them, unfortunately. Right. But that's why I was curious with you, like what your experience was in New York. Um, but you started, you know, in your early thirties, I started in my late mid, I guess mid forties. I started at 46. Um, and most people in comedy are in their 20s and maybe 30s at, right. at this level, you know, at this starting level. Uh, so I, I think there's that, too. People just I mean, some people are fine. I, you know, but I, I now have a bunch of 20 year old friends. But um, anyway, I, I was just curious what it's what it's been like for you there and, and the fact that you've chosen to and, and just figured out how to create this thing on your own. You know, it just speaks to a different mind. Yeah, it's, it, honestly, it's, I, w I wish I documented it. Um, it's, it's really just 
when I had the idea, it's, it's taken a couple twists and turns, and then uh, some suggestions were given. I was like, oh, that's a cool idea. Let's try that. And then, uh, you know, the master panelist thing, something like that. Um, you know, it just, and then just, wow, it's kind of just now it's, it's, it's like it's perfect. I don't want to say perfect because it's always going to go undergo, um, undergo constant, uh, you know, little changes here and there, but I think the the recipe is done now. It's just you know, it's just the only difference is that now I may add a few spices down the road to it, but the main ingredients are there and how to cook it, and how long to cook it's there. So, it, but it's funny again how again how everything just takes a turn, and then you always wait, you know, a year and a half or two later, actually a year and change ago it came out, but I had the idea for like two and change. And I'm like Jesus Christ, and here I am now. I'm like, fuck, it's gonna be on a network and uh couple weeks like wow like this is just you blink and then boom it's here that's fantastic how do you feel have you when was the last time you watched season one a week or two ago oh no a few weeks ago because i had to watch it because amazon demands that you have closed captioning so when i had the closed captioners do it i had to go through and watch everything again to make sure all the words were right so mm. i watched every episode again and uh, it was pretty cool because I got to see the, the maturation of the show. Uh, I became a lot more comfortable, I, and, it, I, and I think it got better uh, as the show got, you know, in later seasons. So it was kind of cool to see me grow as a host as well as the different uh, – the tone and the texture of the show itself. So that was pretty neat. That's what I was wondering because, like, you know – I record all my sets. I even film as many of them as I can, whether it's an iPhone or I bring my real cameras in there. And I just can remember throughout the time I've been doing this thinking, oh, man, last night was amazing or last night sucked. And now I go back and listen. And even the nights that I thought were amazing, I can hear how disorganized and loose I am. Not loose in a good way, you know, loose in a I don't really know my material yet way. Right. Versus versus like, you know, when I took that class, they were like, memorize, memorize, memorize. And I was, I mean, I was, I was drilling that shit all the way up until I went up on stage and they put me up second to last. And the only reason they didn't put me up last was there was a guy there who was old enough. They didn't want him walking back and forth in the dark. So they put him up last because at the end of the night, they bring the whole class up and they wanted him to be uh, already there. But um, so I had all that time to continue to drill my material and I was still drilling it up until the last minute and and the difference was huge you know and I talked to people like oh I, I like to be loose I like to you know I'm like be as loose as you want but know what you're supposed to be saying that way if you do get lost or you get heckled or some shit happens and you know your set gets derailed you've got something to go back to but if you're just loose and just loose is your way then when that happens you got nothing to go back to and, and that, I think, you know, is something I learned. I don't know that they told me those words, but that's something I learned from being in that school, you know, just the importance of knowing your set. Just things like that people don't necessarily think about. It's like, it's like the, the untrained mind is so arrogant. <laughs> that is very true. They think their way is the only way. Yeah, and the best way. Right. And like... I don't need any help. I can figure it out. You, you can't teach funny. All that, all those cliches. I'm like, well, there's truth to all of it, but you can teach technique, man. You can you can get to funny faster, for sure. Um, yeah. 
I don't know. I would agree. I have a really bad habit of of offering people unsolicited tags and ideas for their jokes, but I just should fucking keep my mouth shut. But this one this one person had a joke and and uh, I said you know you know you, I I didn't say it. I was like you should say this. I should have said oh you know you could say this. But anyway, and she's like ah nah I don't think so. You know I was like all right. And then this other comic who was there. After she walked away, he's like, you know, that's actually pretty funny. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't know why she just, you know, she's only she'd only been doing it for three or four months at that point, maybe five months. Um, and uh, and that was another thing they taught us in the school. They're like, if somebody gives you advice or a tag or a suggestion, whether or not you like it, the answer is thank you every time. Just thank you, you know. And then you start to learn when people say thank you that they really mean fuck you, but at least they're saying it politely. Right. So uh, you should put this in one of your your sketches. That's what the uh, regular people say. <laughs> your sketch. <laughs> your little skit. Yeah, that's you should it. do that. Skit, in your little skit. skit or sketches. Yeah, you get both of those. Right? Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Well, dude, let me know if you ever want to bring your show down here. Um, I'd love to. You know, bring comics, watching comics to North Carolina if you want to do it. We do have a pretty interesting comedy scene down here. Um, you know, Charlotte might be the biggest, but Asheville's pretty cool, you know? Like, Asheville's a very cool scene. And yeah, I would probably, I would probably do Charlotte just to have, like, the most bang, just the city and people just, you know, from a logistical standpoint, I think it'd be the easiest way to go. Um, if, it wouldn't have, if it wouldn't work, though, I would, I, I'm not poo-pooing it. I'm just saying I'd put Charlotte 1. And then Nashville too, I think, would be the the, uh, the logical way, unless you tell me it's you know much 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 better Nashville. Listen, if you can get it into the comedy zone and they'll fill the room for you, great. What I would care about if I was in your shoes is having a great show, having great comics, or even if they're not great, but having the right kind of comics to provide the right opportunities for your watching comics to do their thing. Um, and the right sort of audience to respond to that. And, uh, you know, that might happen in Charlotte, but I'm just saying it also could happen here. I mean, the, Asheville has the biggest comedy festival in North Carolina called Laugh Your Asheville Off. Yeah, I know. I, I've, I've definitely heard about it. Like I said, I've got a few friends who are down there now, uh, as a matter of fact, so... Yeah, I, I just uh, say you'd be surprised, you know. So, um, But anyway, it doesn't matter to me. My only point is if I can be helpful in any way, I would love to. And, um, you know, uh, if I can be on your show after I'm mature enough for your standards, I'd love that too. Cool. I think it's a great idea, and I'm excited for you. And uh, anything I can do to be helpful around it beyond this interview, which has already been cool, um, just let me know. I will definitely take you up on that. I would love to see if I can get comics, watching comics down there in the, uh, in the near future. Love to do that. Well, just let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. <laughs> what a cool guy, right? And what a great show idea. I love the way he's allowed it to change and evolve. I hope I get to be on it one day. If you like what you heard, please visit our website, use our Amazon portal, and rate us on iTunes. Make sure you tell your friends about Learning to Fail, and if you feel so inclined, please consider making a donation on our donation page. That way, we can keep failing primetime. Okay, so 
I don't usually do an epilogue to my shows, but there's something I just wanted to acknowledge and sort of laugh about. One of the things I talked to Kevin about in terms of like my own conflicts and challenges integrating with my local comedy scene is this personality trait that I have to offer people unsolicited creative advice. And I always like it when people give me advice, but of course I always appreciate it that they do it in a way that's helpful, constructive, and makes me better. Sometimes people are just being critical, but what was pretty funny is here I was talking to Kevin about how I do this with my local comedian community, and then totally without meaning to and totally without thinking about it, I did that to Kevin about his show. I started telling him what I think he would want in terms of the kinds of people he'd want on his show because I was encouraging him to consider doing the show in Asheville, and I think that people who I've seen perform from Asheville and Greenville and some of the surrounding areas would be good contestants for his show. They have the right amount of time under them and they're good enough comedians and they still have room to grow enough that they would be good contestants. So I feel like I understand why I was offering that, but also I was offering a totally unsolicited immediately after I made this big deal about, you know, acknowledging this shortcoming in myself that I have a, tendency to offer unsolicited creative feedback. And I just thought that was really funny. Like we just cannot escape who we are. <laughs>